Hello there and welcome back to the Chat Shit, Get Fit, the fitness news where we unpack the week's biggest news in health and fitness. I'm Bill and as always I'm joined by Tom. You're muted mate for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you couldn't fucking write this shit, you couldn't write this shit could you? you know, I'm fuck sorry, this. I'm, third time's a charm. You know, fuck, I'm just going to roll into it, I can't be asked. Right? <laughs> this week we take a closer look at the obesity paradox plus we take a deeper dive into the world of BMI. We then move on to PT cheat codes where a personal trainer has shared his knowledge over the years and given us some fantastic cheat codes to get stuck into. And then we finish <laughs> with crash dieting, does it actually work? That's not one of the cheat codes. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, that is not one of the cheat codes crash dieting. Right, okay. Let's get into this week's the fitness news. Okay, guys, the first piece of news this week is the obesity paradox. Now, it sounds very Doctor Who-esque, doesn't it? it sounds a bit sci-fi. Um, so what do we actually mean by the obesity paradox? Now, it's going to sound quite mental at first, mate. Well, some of you might. Some of you, you might have heard of it before. But basically, the obesity paradox is the finding in some studies of a lower mortality rate for overweight or obese people within certain subpopulations. Okay, um, and this paradox has been observed in people with cardiovascular disease and cancer. What they're saying there is, just to simplify that, is that people who are obese or, low, or overweight have a lower death rate when they are suffering with cardiovascular disease or cancer and or cancer. Yeah. So they're basically saying, look, people are saying, oh, obesity is really unhealthy. But then there's some studies trying to say, but oh, but they actually survive more when they've got these really bad problems. So what's the issue? And that's why it's called an obesity paradox. There's also some people that actually say obesity is actually protective. Protective, yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason, I mean, if there are actually various reasons thrown about to why people think this is a thing, but the one that sticks out, and Tom kind of said that, just uh, cast my mind back to it, is that people think that this extra fat protects them from further yeah. health problems, right, and death. So after they develop the heart problems, blah, 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 they are protected from it. And the, the reason they also say this is kind of linking onto that is because if you look at people who do, do develop severe or chronic illnesses, they do often lose weight. So because mm. they're, they're trying to say that because they've got all this excess weight to begin with, when they lose weight because of the illness... They've got more to lose, so they're not going to be as... But, you know, it's just all this, this stuff they're basically trying to put together to create this paradox. But what we've got today, guys, is we've got some new research from the European Society of Cardiology published in the European Heart Journal, and no surprise, it is mainly focusing on heart failure. Um, and they suggest that obesity paradox does not exist. Quickly, the background of this. So patients with heart failure who are overweight or obese are thought to be less likely to end up in hospital or die than people of normal weight. Obviously, they're using BMI to classify uh, the weights of individuals. So, I mean, in, in general, most most researchers, they will, they will use BMI to explore this. And it could, basically, it's very easy to use because if we look at like a globally accepted number, 25 kilos um, per um What's the fucking what's the fucking unit of measurement? What's the unit of measurement? It's height and weight. Yeah, is it is it, is it kilo per meter squared? God, we should really come. Sorry, we're normally so prepared, aren't we? It shows you how much I actually use BMI. Yeah, divides an adult's weight in kilograms by their height in meters squared. Okay, yeah, yeah. So twenty, yeah, okay, twenty-five kilo divided by meter squared. Yeah, okay. So it'll be it'll, if I was to explain that for obviously you're listening, it'd be written as twenty-five kg slash m squared right um that is globally accepted though, as i said as overweight right so it's very easy for researchers to use because then they can basically put a pool of people into an overweight category with very little effort right um, yeah. 
However, as we have explored in previous podcasts, and we are going to do a bit more today, BMI has its own limitations, which we are going to come on to at the end, right? So if we move on with this um, this research from the European Society of Cardiology, John McMurray, who actually led the research, he spoke about BMI actually before we, before we got into this paper, and he reckoned that part of the problem was that BMI is a weak indicator of how much fatty tissue a patient has. So the study we're looking at today is the first to look at different ways of measuring the size and proportions of patients, including BMI, but also anthropometric measurements such as waist to height ratio, waist circumference and waist to hip ratio, and adjusting the patient outcomes to take account of other factors that play a role or predict these outcomes such as levels of natriuretic peptides, and that's basically hormones that are secreted in the blood um, when your heart is under pressure, right? So when you have heart failure, for example, your heart's under pressure, those hormones are secreted into the blood, right? So it's looking at all these different things as opposed to just BMI. So what's interesting about this uh, paper is that initially, yes, an obesity survival paradox, as they coined it, showed lower death rates for people with BMIs of 25 kilometers squared or more. So basically people who are over and obese. However, this obesity survival paradox was eliminated when all those other factors I did mention, they were taken into account, basically yeah. wiped out that, that lower uh, death rate, right? So I'll read out a little extract from one of the analysts on this. So the paradox was far less evident when we looked at waist to height ratios and it disappeared after adjustment for prognostic variables. After adjustment, both BMI and waist to height ratio showed that more body fat was associated with a greater risk of death or hospitalization for heart failure, but this was more evident for waist to height ratio. Obviously brilliant, this paper, we'll link it down below. Obesity paradox, absolutely nailed. But what I want to talk about a little bit now is BMI. I feel like it's getting slated, not getting slated by these guys, but people could use this to once again slate BMI, right? I'm not yeah. going to sit and defend BMI, but it's basically about how it's being applied, right? How you apply BMI is basically what it comes down to. When people apply it appropriately, that's when people slate it, right? And that's what they need to be aware of. So I think it was last week, wasn't it? We actually spoke about um, limitations of BMI. Quickly rattle off a few off the top of my head. So you've got it doesn't really take into account like the location of fat in the body where it's disputed obviously subcutaneous visceral it doesn't sort of take it relative to muscle which is the most yeah. common comeback is oh, if you've got more muscle you can still say you're overweight blah 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 or the weight of the skeleton okay and this is all going to differ according to your sex age race you know I can go on basically there's going to be context which will make that vary right and BMI doesn't take into account of all of that yeah the problem I think there is though I know you've got a good conclusion on this Tom is that the way BMI is being applied and it's how people use it. That is the problem. Yeah. The, the, the system itself, there are contexts which I think I should be used. I'll talk about in a second. But the way people are using it is why there's problems. People use it in the wrong way and then they say it's shit or other people will see it being used the wrong way, not realise it's being used out of context perhaps. And then they'll say, oh, it's fucking shit. It's useless and blah, 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 blah. I always think of it as, you know, in the whole saying of painting a whole picture. Yeah. BMI, BMI is just part of that picture, right? It's not painting a whole picture. There's lots of examples we could give about certain things like areas of fitness for example your runtime doesn't define your entire fitness but it paints yeah. part of the picture it paints part of the picture if you've got a quick runtime it's going to give you some indication of someone's fitness it doesn't give you the whole picture but it's part no, it of the doesn't. picture same same with bmi right and as i said i think and jumping if you sort of got any more on this tom but i think there's two contexts where bmi should be applied okay so out of these fair enough if you want to question it but in these contexts i think it's suitable it should be used as a measure to track weight status in populations, so an entire nation, right? So what I mean by that is, if you had the whole of England, yeah, 
it's very easy to use BMI, very simple tool, can get data very quickly. You can get a good gauge of the weight status of an entire population, the whole of England, by doing BMI. Obviously, at an individual level, it's not going to tell you how overweight someone is or if it's to do muscle or whatever, but in general, on the average, you'd probably find if you looked at the whole of England, everyone's BMI, and it said that 75% of people are overweight, you could probably say with some confidence that most of England is overweight. Yeah, I'd agree with that, uh, particularly yeah. with the last comment, like when we consider yeah. like how uh, d- d- the majority of the population don't actually meet the recommended physical guidelines. Yeah, so sure. I'm going to pretty much rule out, oh, no, it just so happens that United Kingdom <laughs> are all absolute beefcakes, you know. Yeah. I mean, if we, was, what was it again? I, don't quote me on this number, but I'm pretty sure it was only 18% meet the resistance training guide, minimum guidelines. And those minimum guidelines are two times a week. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be stacked. So what you're trying to tell me is, is that everybody's abs- everyone who's overweight is absolutely stacked. Probably not, because not only 18% of you are only meeting the minimum. And that yeah. minimum probably won't get you stacked. So even less than that, of doing enough to get stacked, right? So you get what I'm saying? The whole argument of, oh, it's muscle, it's muscle. So, well, that's a very small population of people. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. It could be a very small population of people. It could, you know, full of individual as well. You know, you know, on an individual level, like, um, it is very easy to hit the overweight or even the obese uh, side of the BMI scale, even if you actually have a relatively low amount of body fat. You know, particularly if you do take up something like resistance training. But as you said earlier, like with BMI, it does have plenty of pitfalls, mainly that, you know, it doesn't take into account things like, yeah, like um, bone density, muscle mass, whatever else. Mm-hmm. And little things that may seem insignificant at first, but when you stack it all together, it makes one big dramatic change. So things like changes in water weight. Oh, yeah, water weight, yeah. Um, we spoke about the menstrual cycle recently as well, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, yeah. You know, did you have a succulent Chinese meal the night before? <laughs> I was waiting for that. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Though no, it's all little things yeah, yeah, like sure. individually. It's like I don't think that's going to make a big dramatic difference. But you know, considering how you know the the UK in particular likes to spend their Friday nights, it wouldn't surprise me if it all did stack on top of each other. Um, but benefits wise, like yeah, it's good for like just like taking a quick number from a population. Um, as well, it's quite simple to measure. As we said earlier, all you kind of need is your height. Weight and height. Your weight. Sometimes they might ask for extra bits like your age, uh, which is actually mm. difficult for me because I forget my age most time. <laughs> but compare that to, you know, something like the height to waist ratio. Mm. A lot of people don't know how to kind of measure their waist in the first place. And that can make a bit of a dramatic difference. Do I measure from the belly button, over the belly button, under? Fucking some people measure it thinking they're doing their waist and actually it's their hips. Well, I think they actually mentioned it as a limitation of that research paper yeah. saying how the way people, because they were doing all these different metrics, it will vary on the person taking the measurements yes. because people will do it differently or they'll maybe pull the thing a bit tighter or a bit looser or whatever or different areas. So yeah. they mentioned that as a limitation. So I think like speaking of different people taking different measurement stuff, if we look at it in a medical setting, another context I think it can be applied for is it's a screening tool to identify potential weight problems in individuals, okay? So while we said it's not perfect for individuals, as a screening tool, it can be useful because you've got to imagine if you've got, I don't know, a doctor's surgery and they're trying to look at all their patients and keep monitoring of what's going on, if they can just quickly scan across some BMIs, they can be like, okay, got an overweight BMI at that point they don't have to suddenly go oh that person's definitely overweight it's a screening tool for them further investigation they can yeah. then see that patient and if they go up to them and they're okay they're absolutely stacked at that point common sense prevails there you'd hope mm. wouldn't you a medical a doctor go okay that's fair enough but so it's kind of it's, like taking a quick glance yes, and then exactly. oh hang on, that's caught my attention yeah let's look a bit closer and then you could do other kind of diagnostics or whatever I think it's those two contexts are quite 
useful. So yeah. someone who's listening now as an individual, you might be asking, should you be worried about BMI? And I would probably say, no, not really. I mean, I think as an individual, at an individual level, it's one metric, it's one metric. But I think at an individual level, you can afford to look at numerous metrics in your life in terms of all your health metrics, as I keep saying. Mm-hmm. But basically, when it comes to your health, fitness, performance, there's obviously more than BMI. And as yeah. an individual, you can look at all that, but you can't expect an entire nation to look at it and a fucking entire doctor, surgeon, entire blah, 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 to look at it. So I'm going to meet you in the middle there. And I'm going to say it could be 50-50 because if okay. you are a very active person mm-hmm. and you know that you are a fucking muscly fucker, you know, mm. and you know you you have all these other factors that contribute in more of a healthy way to increase weight, then your BMI might be on the overweight end of things, as I've yeah. witnessed myself as well with people, particularly like very physically active people and resistance mm. trained people, including soldiers as well. Battle pigs. <laughs> yeah, battle pigs. <laughs> no, no, but honestly, I mean people yeah, who yeah. don't really have a lot of body fat, but they they come in heavy on the scales. Um, but yeah, I think in that case, on the individual level, it's like, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't worry about it too much. But mm-hmm. if you have someone that is a very unactive, sedentary person mm-hmm. that, you know, does have a very high waist circumference and you can kind of yeah. look at it in a visual sense without even, you know, yeah. having to measure. But, but that's a metric in itself, isn't it? You're not you don't yeah. have to think about BMI at that point. You can you can tell by your visual metric and your waist metric is like it's pretty obvious. You and then to, like your BMI is telling you something else, knowing that you really don't do any physical activity. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay, I get you mean, yeah, I get you mean. Yeah. That's when yeah. I'll be like, yeah. Slim uh, but I sedentary. Would, I would pay attention to it. Yeah, exactly mm. that. But I do think it's a better step to take would be like the the waist to height ratio, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I think there was actually talk a while back about us. Uh, I can't remember where I read it, so I really hope that I didn't just dream this because it'd be great if they were to start doing it. But there was talks about GPs eventually maybe phasing out BMI and um, bringing in the the, the the waist to height ratio. Yeah. So in the in the army, sort of towards the end, when I was working in the gym setting more, they changed it to BCM, which was your weight, height, and your waist. So they actually okay. took your waist into consideration as well. So that was a lot, mo- much more accurate way of getting a soldier's or health, really, their, their weight, of course, because as you said, the army, you'd argue that there's going to be more of them who potentially have more muscle mass. Yeah. Simply because of the nature of the job, right? So they knew that and they thought, well, if we keep doing just height and weight, we're going to have an overweight army. And if you look at that, if you said, if you look at that as a snapshot, people could look at that from outside and go, why is the British army full of fat people? Well, in reality, it's not that. So if we do BCM, you get the waist, it's a true representation of the individual, yeah. right? So could they bring that into mainstream? I, I, I don't know if they do or not. I mean, I've not mm. heard if they do, but I think it'd be a good idea, perhaps. Um, they probably do. I, I don't, I can't, yeah. I don't know. I don't. No, the ins and outs of doctor's surgery. I mean, I suppose like uh, if you do like an online questionnaire, it's a lot more simpler to just put in your BMI. But if you was to actually visit a doctor, maybe if you did have the opportunity to say, well, can we actually do it as a waist to height ratio instead? Yeah. From someone that's actually trained how to take the measurements, I think that would be a lot better. But I mean, when we look at like um, the waist measurement in particular, it's useful in the sense that, you know, when you get measured there, even if you was a physically active person, Mm. I'm going to push aside people like, you know, the the freaks like who are injecting themselves with all kinds of things where their <laughs> fucking intestines are swollen up, etc. Right, yeah. But when we get our waist measured, even if we were physically active and we were weight training all the time and we were putting on serious amounts of muscle, mm. not much of that muscle is going to go to the waist. Mm-hmm. So that if suddenly you are becoming a lot more rotund in that particular area, you know, chances are you know that's going to be fat. 
if your bones are getting denser as well through training, your bones are okay. They might be getting denser, but they're not going to be getting wider like yeah, body okay. fat would be either. Do you see where I'm yeah, going yeah. with this? What are you so saying? It's big a bones don't exist. Way to, say again? You're saying people with big bone don't exist, so you're trying to tell me. <laughs> ah, there's, there's yeah. density bones, but yeah, not big bones. Big, yeah, yeah, I love that. That was an old <laughs> classic little myth, that, yeah. Yeah, Actually, this big bone. There's also the thing, I know, we, I, know we didn't, I know we didn't write this down in the notes, just a conversation point, but I think, have you heard when, you know when people say, oh, the people who've got muscle and they said they're overweight, there's people who still say it's still unhealthy, even if you're, if, even if you're muscly because you're carrying all this muscle and this extra weight that's pushing you into overweight they're saying oh it's it's unhealthy to be like that yeah I don't know if I really agree with that no I don't I've not really seen any evidence on it mm. you know I do remember seeing someone on YouTube gobbing off about it years ago and saying you know yeah. oh it's still like um, it, it, it requires a lot of because it's muscle it requires lots of blood yeah. pumping it's lots of strain on yeah, the body yeah. but I would rather have I don't want to say the word excess actually so don't think you can have excess muscle unless you are one of those, yeah. you know, genetic freaks, like I said. But, you know, I, I, my biggest concern would be to have excess body fat yeah. rather than, yeah. oh, too much muscle. Yeah. I feel like this is said on, I see it on forums quite a lot, that that, that, that language. And I feel like it's done by people who who want to have muscle who haven't got muscle. <laughs> and yeah. Saying, it's like, a, it's yeah. like an excuse, giving himself that little excuse yeah. in himself saying, <laughs> oh, but it's actually really dangerous to have loads of muscle for like long periods yeah. of time. <laughs> Whatever helps him cope at night. Yeah, I tell you pretty, what, pretty. I tell you what is dangerous: meeting someone in a dark alleyway with lots of muscle when you haven't. <laughs> that past experience, Tom. <laughs> that reason. I was the muscle. I mean, you were a long time gone. ago. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, guys, we'll move on to the second piece of news, and this is PT cheat codes. So we've got an article that spoke with a 43-year-old PT that shared things he wished he knew when he was younger. That's such a common thing you see at articles and YouTube videos. Things I wish I knew, when I, three things I wish I knew when I was younger, yeah. three things I wish I knew when I started. You know what, though? I think um, topics like that can be useful. Yeah, they can be good, yeah, for sure. As long as it's yeah. coming from people that know what the fuck they're yeah. talking about. <laughs> as we're going to go on to. Um, I, yeah, you, yeah. You, you see this a lot, right? So we'll look at this list, because this list is, there's quite a lot actually on this list. This person has learned a lot. If they, if they gave all this to their younger self, wow, I wonder where they'd be today. So, I mean, to be fair, it's not all bad. There are a few things which I think do make yeah. sense uh, I mean you know out of the 20 points he makes <laughs> out of the 20 cheat codes I should hope yeah. at least one of them makes yeah. it through the rigorous process of us scorning it right three two one see what I did there count backwards from your desired rep target this tricks your mind into finishing the reps <laughs> now, it's a bit mad I, to be fair, Tom, we laugh, but I actually understand what they're trying to say because we prefer if you're making if the numbers getting smaller. I feel like it gives you a little fuzzy feeling in your head of well, I'm getting close to completion. If we're counting up and we're on like 15, 16, 17, it's like oh, fucking, I'm doing loads here. But if you're going three, two, or oh, one, there you go, last one to go. I can see why. Will it make a huge difference in the grand scheme of things? Would it have made him get more gains when he was younger? Probably not. Um, I'm sorry. The reason why I laughed is because um, I. This is something that's kind of resonated with me very recently. Oh god! Because I had two separate clients tell me off for counting their reps. They said really? I was making it really uh, hard for them in a joking way. Oh, it was right. like you know, oh, you're right, fucker, because you know you remind me that I've got to do more of them. But yeah, yeah. what I've actually started doing it is I actually wait until they get about three quarters away through of the desired mm. reps I'm looking for. And then I'll count backwards exactly like this cheat yeah, hack yeah. is saying, and that's just because. And you know what? If I was to, if I was to give you an example, right? When I 
used to go running, I would hate to say, right, I'm 100 metres in. I can't wait to do the rest of the 900 yeah, metres. Yeah, so yeah. The kilometer, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Hmm. But, you know, like if I was doing something like, um, if I was doing like a 5K or three miles, it felt a lot better to say at the end, oh, great, you know, half a mile left. Yeah. Rather than doing my first half a mile and then going, whoa, man, two and a half miles left. It's just a psychological thing, isn't it? It makes you feel yeah. like it makes you feel better and you feel more motivated to do your reps. And for sure, I can imagine that being an effective, an effective cheat code. Yeah, for sure. The the count the countdown backwards does kind of remind you that there's a finishing line inside. A finishing line, yeah. You know, sure. there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. not too bad then. Not too and bad. I apologise to my clients for counting because sometimes I don't realise I'm doing it, and I know that it drives their fucking heads in. <laughs> <laughs> right, number two. This one's a common one. Creatine is the most researched supplement with literally zero side effects. Take five grams daily to help build muscle and improve brain health. I mean, you know, I yeah, think creatine is pretty well established. I mean, five grams daily is a pretty standard number. Obviously, that will vary, but it can vary. I mean, the only thing I would have done was I would have put more focus on strength than muscle. But, you know, if you do get stronger, yeah. you do tend to lift mm. more, which will then help you build muscle. Yeah. So that's well, what's been uh, We said before, haven't we, uh, creatine. It doesn't even have to be a gym setting. I think when we spoke about creatine in the supplement series, we came to the conclusion of everybody should actually be taking creatine. It's actually a very useful thing to take simply because it doesn't come with many side effects. It's relatively cheap, isn't it? When you buy yeah. it, very easy to take um, and it can help pretty much everyone. So if you're not taking yeah. it, you might as well go for it. Okay. Number three, another absolute classic one, eat at least 0.8 to 1 grams of protein per pound of body weight to build and maintain muscle. Yeah, that's fair as well. In, in, in the UK, if you were to use kilos, for example, we'd probably say 1.6 to 2.2 grams per yeah. kilo of body weight is a good is a good range as well. So 0.8 to 1 grams of, per, uh, of protein per pound or 1.6 to 2.2 grams uh, of protein per kilo. And that's obviously going to vary on your tra- how much training you're doing, um, how old you are as well, because as you get older, you might want to increase your protein intake. There's a lot of different contexts, of course, but working within yeah. those ranges is a good place to be, okay? Now, this next one is quite interesting. Do some plyometrics before a lower body workout and medicine ball throws before an upper body workout. This trains your nervous system to use power when lifting. So this is, I remember three years, about three, four maybe years ago, this was like all the rage on social media. But it basically sounds like he's trying to explain PAP or post-activation potential. So basically where you excite the muscle Mm-hmm. so that when you do go and train the exercise in like a traditional set oh you're going to have more power but to be honest with you i, I think it's like a, i wouldn't call it a hack no. and i wouldn't be trying to overcomplicate training either it just know? basically sounds like a, f- yeah. a fancy way of saying a warm-up for like yeah, a certain I, warm-up like I, I have no issue with people doing plyometrics and resistance training in the same session good context actually tom um if you call it yeah you could call it plyometrics i suppose but you know if like if you do like clean for example a very powerful movement People, hmm. people who do box jumps they'll do higher box jumps beforehand so they'll basically build yeah. up to a higher box jump before to basically get those type 2 muscle fibers absolutely firing before they go into an explosive move in a clean because even on a clean you're not jumping you are trying to almost take off by generating yeah. that power and the extension so so you're basically exciting those muscles yeah exactly yeah. yeah so there's people who do that but as we've said with warm-ups before while yeah it's 
you know it's great to do some sort of warm up but it all, it depends on the context and we if you haven't got time don't get too fixated with this like, yeah. we don't want you wasting your time throwing a medicine ball at a wall before you do your chest session like if you want to do bench just get on the bench and build up you know ramp up your <laughs> your weight if you if you're short on time I'd also be careful with the dosage like I wouldn't want to knacker myself out doing box jumps yeah, yeah. and then suddenly yeah. to go and yeah. do you know fucking yeah. cleans you know what I mean yeah 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 like maybe a couple okay I wouldn't say mm. call it a hack though a cheat. Yeah, it does, yeah, that doesn't sell, mate. It's got it's an article on it. It's got to sell. Cheat codes, right? That's <laughs> um, true. Number number five, do your weakest muscles in the beginning of the workout. Start off your weakest side first when doing single joint movements. I suppose they're just basically talking about if you, if you if you leave them to the end, you're potentially more tired overall generally. So it might impact that. But what I won't say it's anything magical. Um, it's a preference thing, I would have thought. Yeah, uh, I'll just say it's want- a preference thing. Yeah. I'm just going to call it a hack. I I tend to prioritise like l- the lifts that are most important to someone, mm-hmm. whether they're weaker to them or uh, weaker them or not. So the lifts that are most important, well, or let's, sometimes let's, you have to. F- let's break it down, some Like, in, if you, if I was to give you an example of like a training, maybe something I would do, for example, the way you prioritise it is you would start with your explosive, more explosive movements. If I was to do Olympic yeah. lifting, I would start with Olympic lifting, then I would do my compound lift. So let's say I was doing, I don't know, do power cleans into back squat, then I would do my isolation based exercises my more accessory leg exercises okay so I'm basically working down that chain I wouldn't start with I don't know I wouldn't start with dumbbell flies and then do yeah. some cable flies and then go into bench press I would do bench press first because yeah. that's the big compound exercise you want to you know you want to have the most energy for right that's pretty much how I would prioritize like uh, mm-hmm. the exercise selection like basically yeah. like um the exercises that are going to require the most energy Mm-hmm. and explosiveness and yeah. you know power i'll yeah. try and prioritize those first it doesn't always work that way because of you know people <laughs> equipment <fucking> take <laughs> so, up equipment curling in the squat rack or you know fires breaking out on the bench press yeah. or whatever mm. because <laughs> the reason we say this as well guys is because if you read that statement again do your weakest muscles in the beginning of the workout so you're telling me if my biceps are my weakest i should do bicep curls before for cleans before my power cleans like, that happening. doesn't make any sense why would i do bicep curls before power cleans and bent yeah. over row do you know what <laughs> funny enough that you say that that is what was going through my head because my my weak lift is <laughs> fucking biceps all right I I hate fucking bicep curls and I always feel shit doing them. So yeah, I'm not going to go and do those first and then go and do barbell rows or penlay rows. It's not I happening. Understand, I, I understand why they've said this, but I don't think they've thought yeah. it through. <laughs> I don't think they've thought no. it through very much. Yeah. Maybe I just wanted to get to that even 20 hacks. Maybe. Instead of just maybe, yeah, maybe so, yeah. Maybe so. Number seven, think about the muscles you're you. Oh, sorry. Think about the muscles you're exercising using your mind to contract them. This is called mind to muscle connection. Go on, Bill. I was just going to say, this reminded me of our conversation a few weeks ago about the power of the mind, how we said that yeah. just by thinking about working the muscles, there was actually evidence to show that you could mitigate muscle loss in a period of non-gym usage, right? So there is a place for the mind. I mean, in terms yeah. of the mind to muscle connection, I think another thing I would say is that sometimes you find people just going through the motions almost. Yeah. So they don't really think like they'll if they're doing curls, they just sort of just like curl the arms up. They're not really doing. They're not really squeezing yeah. the muscle. They're just kind of doing that. So they're not really, ta- they're not really working the muscle as much. If you were to focus on it, squeeze in with the bicep curl, squeeze the bicep as you're doing it, you, you're going to get more benefit from doing that basically because you're yeah. actually focusing on working the muscle as opposed to just yeah. going through the motion. So kind of going back off what you just said, like when we spoke about how like the power of the mind can actually yeah. motor imagery, wasn't it? Well, motor, motor imagery, imagery. Yeah. yeah. So that is a benefit. Mm. But also simply by actually 
focusing on what you're doing, as you said, it means you're not going to just zone out and start using momentum and just like yeah, the tempo sure. goes all over the place and that. I don't think t- tempo has a dramatic effect on training, depending on what your goals are actually you are. So what you're actually training for in uh, respect to your goals. But just by f- concentrating on the muscle, feeling that contraction happen, the lengthening phase, etc., you can think, okay, yeah, I'm doing this at a proper tempo. I'm feeling it lengthen. I'm making sure I'm getting that decent roaming as well. I'm getting yeah, that yeah. stretch cycle, etc., rather than just like zoning out, fucking looking mm. all around you, staring at whoever. Yeah. Um, as you look outside window. my house, what's going <laughs> yeah, on? Say, as you stare out the window, this? not focusing on the podcast, doing the complete fucking opposite of what you say. Uh, next Distracted door, I've just ordered a Greg's. It's no Greg's. Who I thought Greg's closed at this time. No. Oh yeah, fucking half seven. It's half seven at yeah, night. Yeah, but mate, you, where you live, they fucking. I can imagine that, people are ravenous that for Greg's. That can't be real. That's got to be a disguise. That's got to be like a home robbery going on. Do you or, know mate, what? You know, Not it, my it problem. Could be. I'd say probably a drug drug drop off. A drug drop off disguises a Greg's. I don't think they thought through there. Greg's is closing a copper sees that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Greg's um, closed, mate? Wasn't there? Anyway. Yeah, right, uh, but, uh, sorry, that's really phoned me off. Half seven, a Greg's. Literally, you've literally just done the opposite of what you were saying. People are going to think you've actually scripted that. That was like the complete <laughs> opposite. <laughs> I wasn't. If you focus on what you're doing, guys. If you focus, you'll get better results. As I see a fucking moped mid podcast and just piss off for a I've tangent. I've got the ball here, guys. <laughs> you've got the ball massively, yeah. Right. No, let's tr- if you move on to number eight. Yeah, yeah. he's going now anyway. So <laughs> you yeah. go, right. Um, number eight. If you want if you want to build muscle, increase energy and recover faster, focus on your sleep. The better you sleep, or the better your sleep habits, I should say, the better you become. I'm not going to go into this too much. Sleep's I mean, we've spoken about sleep before, haven't we? Sleep is important for recovery, guys. Okay, if you're neglecting your sleep, you know, if you're going through this grind hustle culture of you can perform on five hours a night, great, but you are going to reduce your ability to recover, okay? So do what you can, yeah. right? Uh, number nine, I mean, number nine is pretty much, just, they've kind of just repeated themselves. So when lifting, keep your head and eyes fixed on a point where you'll be able to focus and contract the muscle the most. I feel like I've just reworded <laughs> the mind-to-muscle um, connection a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think it, some of these are like really like hard to translate because when I read that, I didn't think of him as like looking at the muscle or what he was kind of training. You know, I, I just saw it as just look somewhere, like anywhere, like look at the wall, look at your feet, I don't know. Oh, okay. I thought it um, just meant like stare at your fucking bicep. Still at the peak yeah. of your bicep. <laughs> this is a bit of a confusing one, to be honest with you. And I, yeah, I don't really get it. Like, I feel like it's there to fill the list. <laughs> I, I don't think you have to fix your eyes on a point when doing certain movements. I mean, if I was doing deadlifts and I was focusing on one place, mate, you know, <laughs> you know, deadlifts, yeah, you'd obviously work the <laughs> hamstrings quite a lot. You're trying to look at your hamstrings. How are you going to do that? You have to look in the mirror, like, yeah, like trying so to look at talking about your muscles, it's a bit of a weird yeah. one. But maybe yeah. this guy's just looking at it from like a, a curl's point of view. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to number 10. So number 10, allow yourself to take an exercise to failure 10% of the time. The rest of the time, leave one to two reps in the tank. This is where it goes down a bit. To maintain form and save the joints. It starts off quite well, actually, because we have spoke about failure. I mean, there is context where you might, but you, don't, you don't have to go to failure. The context where maybe on the last set of an exercise or the last set of a muscle group, you can go to failure. But to leave one or two reps in the tank is good. It's a good way to build muscle. When they start talking about oh, to maintain form and save the joints, it's a bit like, mm, okay, now you're just trying to more. So and, to play devil's advocate here. Yeah. I would understand if it was, oh, to maintain form in a sense of we're trying to. We want us. We want to maintain a certain form, so we're hitting the particular muscle yeah. group we want to be using. Range of motion. You want to hit the certain range yeah. of motion properly. Range of motion. Yeah. I want to make sure that if I, if if the reason why I'm doing Romanian deadlifts is that I want to hit my hamstrings and my glutes, yeah. Yeah, I want to make sure important. that I'm maintaining form for that. 
particular goal and keeping a straight back. So it is coming from the hips. Rather than if I started turning into a Jefferson curl, and it's like, okay, this is like no longer, mm. I'm, I'm no longer gaining what I want to gain here because mm. I'm, I'm targeting a completely different muscle group. Or I'm putting more of an emphasis on that. Yeah. Um, the whole like 10% of the time, um, Ten percent of what? Number. Yeah, it's a very like random the, number, isn't it? They're days of it. days of the week, sets. You know, like yeah, it's very specific number, a bit weird. I'd basically reword that. I mean, that, that there's there's things we can work with there. So I'd basically like you can, you can go to failure in some context. Obviously, we can go into that. Yeah. I think, what episode did we talk about it? Was it on how to build? I think it was. So you want to build muscle? Yeah. So you want to build muscle was the name of the episode. We spoke about it there, saying how. Some people would say you need to go to failure all the time. That's not the case. It actually could be potentially more, could be holding you back in terms yeah. of results. Um, but leaving one to two reps in the tank is pretty good. Is it, is but it just good? to clarify it, like I do kind of agree with the overall message in the sense that, mm. yeah, just go to failure every now and again. You don't have to do it all the time, you know. And yeah, leave one or two reps in the tank, fair enough. They said to maintain form. As Tom said, we just changed that. We wouldn't say to save the joints a bit more, but to maintain form and to allow the correct adaptations, you could say, to take place in the desired yeah. movement, right? So that would probably be a better way of putting it. And just to make sure we're not uh, exceeding our capacity of what we're actually able to tolerate when training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Number 11. To build muscle, focus on lowering a weight under control in four seconds and lift it in two time under tension grows muscle this is quite a popular thing isn't it time under tension a lot of people yeah. like to talk about this time under tension thing it's also a very heated topic in regards to you know like um the, the primary the primary driver of hypertrophy yeah, or growing muscle you know is it time under tension or is it the volume and it goes back and forth from my own personal viewpoint and is it it's probably a bit of both you yeah, know? yeah yeah mm -hmm. but i mean um particularly like in regards to slow tempo training like I think it has its uses, but in regards to building muscle, I think there's been too much emphasis on like, oh, you have to slow down the reps. As the, the, the slower the negative, the slower the, the the eccentric phase of the of the movement, the better. The better it's going to be. And I don't think that's the case. I've seen evidence where there, there wasn't much difference between what was it like a two second tempo and a four second or whatever it was. But it's not to say that it's not. You know, completely. It just useless. wasn't. It's one of those things where people sometimes get fixated so much on these little, tiny, finicky differences. It's like you're wasting your time. You're like panic. Oh, I've, I've done this in three seconds instead of four seconds. My, my workout's ruined. It's like, well, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to make a huge difference. It's I mean, not. it could be. You know, like when we were talking about like the mind to muscle connection, right? Yeah. The mind muscle connection. This is where slow tempos can be useful. Because you're slowing it down, you're giving yourself that time to really concentrate on the movement, etc. So yeah, fair enough. I mean, with most of my lifting, I'll always just say on the concentric phase, the actual part of where you're lifting something. Yeah. So whether that be, yeah, like a deadlift where you're actually pulling it from the ground or if it's a remaining deadlift, you're pulling it from your shins or if it's a bench press where you're pushing the bar away from you or, yeah. you know, like you're doing a bicep curl where you're pulling the bar up to you, I'd always say that particular movement you want it to be as explosive as quick as possible. And obviously it won't be too, too quick because it'd be heavy. <laughs> you remember, yeah, if you can do it course. rapid, it's too uh, light, obviously. De depending yeah. on the weight, yeah, of course, Yeah, depending on know. the weight, yeah. <laughs> but even then, I, I intentionally want to go fast with that. I'm not going to be taking two seconds there to, no, no. you know, to, no. to lift that. I'll only be taking four seconds either. Because obviously, no. more commonly, it's the eccentric phase where people then slow it down. Like, have you ever done eccentric deadlifts? Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, fuck that, man. <laughs> Fucking yeah. horrible. <laughs> um, I'll be yeah. honest with you. The Romanian deadlift is one of those exercises that I do actually tend to slow down the tempo. Hamstrings getting firing. 
just because I want to make sure that I am level my muscle connection, you know. Yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. put my head between my legs yet and look at my hamstrings, though, sadly. But I slow it down so I can purposely feel, mm. you know, the hamstrings lengthening. Okay, and number 12, if you're limited on time, use metabolic circuits. They put two to five exercises together without rest, and you can get a great workout in half an hour or less. I mean, it sounds very CrossFit-esque almost. I don't see a huge issue with it in terms of that. Only thing I'd say be mindful yeah. of is... Be mindful of your loading on that. If you've never done one before, don't just yeah. bang five exercises together and full send it for fucking 30 minutes. Because of the terminology used, I'm, I'm 90% sure this guy has some form of certificate. Was this a UK article? Uh, yes. Yeah, I have a 99% <laughs> yeah, circuit, circuit, certainty circuit rate that he has, uh, not just circuits, Bill, but metabolic, oh, circuit metabolic training so metabolic. Oh, okay. certification yeah, because yeah. I have that. But yeah, like uh, you, you can do like these big giant sets or super sets, like banning exercises together. Mm. That's no problem. I think you need to be a bit sensible. Yes, well, no. I don't think you have to be, but I would recommend being a bit sensible with how you mm. kind of structure them together. Yeah. So me, I'd break it down so it's like yeah, push pull something else. I was else, literally going to say else. you do yeah. it. Is it um, agonistic? Is that the terminology? Yeah. So, Let's be let's let's keep it simple for the gym bros. Yeah. Like if I was to do a bicep curl, I would yeah. then follow up with a tricep, tricep push down. Push down, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't do, and I know some people do do this. And if you want to do it, cool. But I wouldn't do a barbell row followed by bicep curls because it's using the same. I think it's antagonist actually. Yeah, not agnostic. Yeah, antag- yeah ag- that's yeah. something completely different. Yeah, so let me just refresh. So I don't sound like a fucking retard PT. So obviously, agonist would be the same so the muscle you'd be using the biceps twice obviously in the same thing antagonist yeah. as it because obviously that makes sense antagonist is like as the person who's against you opposite yeah. you right so just to just to confirm that <laughs> then you've got the synergist and uh, yeah fucking nice get your piece yeah fucking let's turn into an origin lecture basically when one muscle contracts another must lengthen and just like swap those muscles out you can easily throw together those circuits with yourself and do you want to know a good way of using them if we go back to one of their earlier cheat code hacks, as they called it, going one to two reps from failure, if you do that on your metabolic circuit, you'll be in a good place yeah. to go, right? That, that'll be absolutely fine. And obviously, the reps will change massively because you're going without rest pretty much. So don't don't be surprised if you lo- if you lower reps, but that's fine. Yeah. Absolutely fine, yeah. Number 13, do short dynamic stretches before a workout to increase range of motion and prep your body for the exercises ahead. Uh, I mean, yeah, but it depends on what we're kind of classing as a dynamic stretch here. Mm. So when I used to get ready for a squat, I'd do the old, the whole lot. I'd hold onto the barbell whilst kicking my legs back and forth, and all that, basically moving through a lengthened and shortened. I was going to say, technically, doing a barbell back squat without any yes. loads is actually it's a, a dynamic, dynamic stretch. stretch. It's a dynamic stretch, yeah, because that's it's what I do squat. now. Yeah, exactly. So it depends on your definition of dynamic stretch, how you interpret yeah. that word, right? What we're not saying is you have to do a full yoga session before <laughs> before you work out. There's nothing wrong with doing that, though. Uh, well, not the full yoga session, but like <laughs> if you just want to swing your arms around yeah, or you want to, you know, drive your hips back and forth or twist your hips or, you know, yeah, kick your legs back and forth, bend up and down, you know, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But to be honest with you, just simply doing the exercise you're about to do, mm. feel free to do body weight and then a barbell and then slowly load up. That's a dynamic stretch down. To be honest with you, since time is a barrier, I would rather do it that way anyway. Mm. So I'd be, I'd rather be preparing for the actual movement I'm going to do. Because, yeah, okay, like with a, uh, should I say traditional dynamic stretch? 
And what I mean by that is, yeah, just like kicking your legs back and forth, yeah. swinging your arms around. <laughs> okay, you might be warming up the muscles then. Okay, you might be getting blood flow to that particular area as well. You might be increasing your heart rate too. However, what I'm not getting is building that specific motor pattern of the actual movement I'm about to do. Mm. So I'd rather just, if I wanted to warm up for squats, I'll simply just start squatting with an extremely light weight or body weight, mm. simply because... I'm doing all that. I'm, I'm warming up my muscles. I'm getting blood going. I'm getting my heart rate up. But on top of that, I'm also coding in my head what I'm about to actually do. Yeah. That very specific movement. I ain't got all day to fucking swim my arms around, etc. If you want to do it, cool. It's, it's not really a major issue, but you don't have to. Mm. I wouldn't necessarily say this is a cheat. If anything, I'd say the actual cheat is that you probably don't have to do that. Oh, number 14 is getting very um, new age life coach style um do box yeah. breathing for three to five minutes after workout to get your body into a parasympathetic state so you can speed up recovery um yeah i don't think it's gonna I mean, make a major difference yeah i don't know i mean i'm not really too sure i mean if people get into their cars after a workout you're gonna calm down anyway aren't you yeah exactly i can well, i can not, I can not in a car i can <laughs> i can't in london <laughs> yeah, maybe not london yeah you get robbed (laughs) but i actually understand this because i mean obviously if you do if you've ever done box breathing before it can put you you can feel quite relaxed by doing it so for sure if you've done i don't know a disgusting work murph for example if anyone's ever done the crossfit workout murph which is like a mile run 300 squats 200 push-ups 100 pull-ups a mile run that's going to make you feel fucking biblical by doing some box breathing after it could calm you down for sure but what we're trying to say is you don't have to finish your workout, sit on the yeah. mats and start meditating in some box breathing yeah. system. It doesn't, it's not. Literally, I just put my weights away, walk home. I would say if you want to do some sort of breathing, I'd pair that with maybe a bit of active recovery. If you're going to go for a little walk or you're going to sit on a bike for a bit, for like five, 10 minutes, you can just do some deep breathing while you're doing that. It's not the crucial, but yeah, it might make you feel better, but I wouldn't or say you could just go home. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a cheat code. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine this person spends I, every I, session. I don't know if this is like, don't get me wrong, it can be nice to like, if, so as you said, if you've done something so intense, you were blowing out of your rectum. Yeah, calm you me know, down a bit. You've done something so really crossfit or you've maxed out in the squat rack, you know, or you've uh, gone crazy on the treadmill, or the ski yoga, et cetera. Okay, go stand to the side for a little bit and just calm yourself down. That's absolutely fine. But I'm not going to say, you know, like just training in general, it's a hack and you should all do it. You know, if you're just like training in general and not like, like an extreme intensity, you probably find just go home and breathe. I feel like what we're getting with some of these is, is they're very, I'm not saying they're useless. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying they're getting very almost like the little tiny things that you could maybe apply. But for the most general population, there's a lot of this stuff where it's like, well, think about the bigger things. You're probably not even consistently doing enough to you're probably still struggling with some of the basics consistently yeah. let alone trying to worry about I need to apply to you yeah you ain't got to worry about your breathing and all that like just trying to focus on do it. as we said at the start actually we're near the start only about I think it was 18% of people are meeting the resistance training guidelines we, we need to make it as effortless as possible if we're then telling people they've got to do three to five minutes of breathing after every workout <laughs> we're gonna it's gonna make it more yeah. hard to get people doing it so these are things which yeah maybe if you're a high level and you want to improve your game slightly for sure uh, at general pop level maybe not right so no. um right move on to the next one so well, this one's quite similar to what we've been talking about not too long ago base your goals around behaviors you can't control outcomes but you can control behavior focus on what you and what you can control i'll let you, I'll let you take over this time i know you like a bit of the old behavior 
Sounds like the Dalai Lama, doesn't it? Uh, well, I shouldn't be talking about it at the moment. Uh, he's been done well, for nothing, oh, isn't he? He's sucking the tongue, wasn't it? He got someone to suck his tongue. Yeah, a kid. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he got the kid. Mate, that's weird as fuck. Yeah, a bit like uh, a bit like this cheat code, really. Well, someone said, didn't someone say that if the Pope did that, they'd be getting fucking uproar? But like the Dalai well, Lama probably like, has done it. <laughs> well, got a child to suck his tongue. Don't know about it. Well, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, a bit more nonsense. Mate, I saw. The, I actually saw the picture and thought, this is weird. Like, why is it? And he was buzzing, yeah. mate. He was loving it. That's a little child I mean, sucking I mean, his tongue. To, to be fair, that is a natural reaction, Bill. I'll say that's a normal reaction to go, yeah, this is weird. If you said, if you said anything else, I would have yeah. been uh, concerned. That's a Friday night treat in our household. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. In Tibet, maybe. Um, but yeah, like... Okay, so first of all, like, the very last sentence, focus on what you control. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So I think this is kind of what you was alluding to there about we've spoken about it before. Yeah, locus about, of control. Yeah, like the locus of control. Things that mm-hmm. we can control, things, you know, I can't control. So yeah, I agree with that. Like um, I can control, and it's, it's subjective to every individual, things I can control, you might not be able to. But you might have things that you can control in your life that I can't control. Yeah. So for example, I can go to the gym, and whatever I do in the gym is within my control. But at the same time, I can't really control my sleep because I have children, I have foxes as well, I have Greg's deliveries, you know, next door, all kinds of things keeping me awake at night. So that is like, I'm going to stop focusing my attention there. Mm. I'm going to go and just put my energy into things that I can control. If I give a really hyper-specific answer to the gym setting as well, for most people, maybe you can resonate with this, is that if you go to the gym, you obviously can control what you're doing, right? You can't control if someone has decided to take up the squat rack with doing bicep curls. You can't control. You can't stop them. You can't control what they're doing there, right? But what you can control is how what you do next. And you, if you can't do your bell. back squat, yeah, exactly. If you can't do back squat on the rig, okay, what can I do? Instead of like giving up and going, oh, this is fucking shit, I give up. I can do goblet squats. I can, you know, I can grab, grab a couple of dumbbells. I can grab a kettlebell. There's other ways you can do it. I could just do a different muscle group. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's in your control, right? So it's about yeah. navigating things, thinking about, instead of thinking of, oh shit, this has happened or this is out of my control. Forget about yeah. that. Focus on what you can do to get to whatever you're trying to achieve. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not too bad at uh, the last bit. I think it's a bit weird that he says, oh, you can't control outcomes, but you can control behavior. I mean, that depends because, you know, your behavior will control the outcome. Um, maybe I'm just looking a bit too much into that. But uh, yeah, overall, yeah, not, yeah, I pretty much agree. Yeah. Right. Number 60. We're nearly in the list, guys. Which is being very it becomes thorough. the sales pitch. Yeah, because I know it's becoming very thorough, obviously. So, right. You'll get better results getting stronger using the same program for 12 weeks than constantly trying to change it every time you step in the gym. Now, obviously, as you said, the whole 12, I understand the point of, because look, consistency is obviously quite key when it comes to a thing, but we go back to what we can control. It's not the end of the world if, you, if someone says, oh, you need to do three times a week. If you can't do that, whatever. You know, you just do what you can, control what you can. If you get in once a week, great. If you get in twice a week, great, right? But obviously, if you want to get stronger and build muscle, for example, if you're consistently following a progressive program of 12 weeks, you're better off with that instead of trying to change things every single time in the gym. If you go in and change the rule book, like the exercises, the reps and sets, every single fucking day you go in the gym, you might it might get a bit messy. Yeah, I, I can't pretty much agree with this, to be honest with you. Mm, yeah. Um, I'd recommend just trying to stick consistently to whatever it is mm. you're doing. Don't get me wrong, like if you're just there for like general reasons, you know, mm. you you can the find out. 
Yeah. You know, fuck. as long as you're hitting the physical guidelines, you <laughs> Mate, can just fuck around that, and find that, out. That just reminds me about the meme, though, the negative meme. He fucked around and he found out and he's absolutely yeah. fucking and not, people get annihilated. <laughs> but there you go. You can fuck around yeah. and find out. Well, it sounds like a negative thing. But it sounds I mean, like a bad um, thing. It's like popped like, upside down on the rig. <laughs> well, no, that is, bands. you know, fucking around and find out is basically, you know, you just testing the waters, isn't it? You know? But I mean, like, just to clarify, like, you don't have to follow a program religiously from a particular trainer you know this could be something you've made yourself you know and if you've made yourself you've made your own little program you've made your own exercise selection that's cool but you you just stick to it and see what happens until eventually obviously you stop seeing results or things start to stagnate that's a whole different story i do think though that there is room for variation and i don't feel that just because you are throwing variation into your training that it means you're going completely off program you know, mm. I think there's room for variation. It depends on your goals at the end of the day. It depends on how much time you can dedicate to training as well. You know, if someone has a high frequency of training that they go to the gym five days a week, there's going to be more opportunities to try different things and fuck around and find out. Mm. But if someone was only going to the gym once a week, I'll say, yeah, try and stick to similar things. But that, once again, that's only if you want to get good at specific things. Mm. Like, if you're just there for general health, you don't have to always stick to a squat. You know, you could do lunges one week, a squat the other week, go on machines and do like a whole bunch of isolation exercises the next week on your legs. You know, I think that's okay. But yeah, if you're training for a very specific goal, you're probably going to want to just stick to what you're doing more often than not. Number 17, so it's interesting. This is where it goes downhill. (laughs) Yeah. If you sit at a desk, do more face pulls. They condition the rear delts, rhomboids, and external rotators to reverse the effects of sitting. Now, I mean, firstly, what effects of sitting are you referring to in the first place? What are we trying to reverse? That's. uh, I feel like they've used lots of, like, terms there, like rear delts, rhomboids, external rotators, like... To make it sound yeah. like they're not what talking about, but it's like your reverse what um, effects of sitting. What what are we referring um, to? I mean, this sounds like this chap has uh, been watching his athlete necks on YouTube. I mean, I could probably dive a bit deeper into this, but this whole belief of like face pulls will kind of change your posture kind of stems from very outdated evidence. Something called um, upper upper cross syndrome, and the idea was that was say if you was at a desk, you tend to lean over, right? Because of that, because you're in like a constant hunched over posture your chest muscles get tight and then your back muscles become weak. Therefore, because the chest becomes tight, it automatically pulls your shoulders forward. And believe it or not, there's a magic cure, which is the face pulls. That's going to do the opposite. That's actually going to open up your chest and now strengthen those weakened back muscles. Um, I think face pulls are wicked exercise for building your shoulders, mm, for, yeah, building your, okay. for building your, your traps as well. You know, I, but to, I like But to them. say they reverse the effect of yes. sitting is a bit fucking much. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Mm. And I don't even know how much of an effect on a physical sense mm. that resistance training can have on your actual posture. Don't get me wrong. I think it can make you more confident. Yeah. And we know that posture out. is heavily... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We know yeah. posture is heavily correlated Confidence, with your yeah. confidence your mental state isn't it your mental state affects your yeah. posture quite a bit but yeah. I don't think it can make any noticeable permanent changes but I do like face pulls number 18 this is an absolute classic one leave your ego out the door don't look at how others are lifting focus on your own journey and enjoy the process if you've been in the industry that long and this is something you wish you knew back in the day <laughs> I know I mean, well, fucking well, hell. <laughs> you know 
What a bad start <laughs> to the journey that was. It took till 20 years to suddenly realize, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, maybe it's fucking Maybe I should train for me. Yeah. <laughs> Number 19. Machines are not for sissies. Is this person actually English? Machines are not for sissies. They allow you to do an exercise in a safe way while focusing on the muscles you're targeting. Use them. This reminds me of the Arnold thing we spoke about a little while ago on Men's Health Centre. Yeah. How the whole, once again, yeah, machines, absolutely fine, nothing wrong with them. But it's the whole terminology of like a safe way. What do they what do they mean by that? Like they're basically um, applying that free weight might not be safe. That's my only issue with it. Yeah. It see, it's very hard to like try and find what this person actually means and what the context is, you know, in like a short sentence. So, for example, for all I know, they might be saying this in the sense that you know our machines are better because uh, it's easier on your joints. In which case, yeah. I disagree. However, if it was me and I had wrote this, in my mind, my bias is well, actually, if like um, I was going more towards failure. Because I ain't got to worry about balancing, etc. Yeah, yeah. I can go to failure more often on a machine because it's just back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, Whereas yeah. on a barbell squat, very rarely do I want to go to failure because true failure would mean that I'm not getting up out of that hole in a squat. It's how you interpret that, really, isn't it? It's actually yeah. quite an ambiguous term the way they've because the way they've written this whole thing it is quite ambiguous. Machines are fine, but I don't think they're inherently safer. I've seen plenty of injuries on machines. Yeah, you yeah. go and you Google a leg press. Yeah. Actually, don't do that because it's horrendous to watch a leg press injury. I think the important thing to take away from that, if we just like wrap that one up, just like machines are fine. Don't worry about them. Yeah, they're not. As he said, they're yeah. not sissies. They're not. I don't think machines are bad. There's nothing wrong with them. If you want to use them, use them. Yeah. Um, number twenty, which is the final one, getting a spotter will add about. I mean, ten, where are they getting ten percent? Where's ten percent coming from? It's quite lovely. Ten percent. Getting a spotter will add about ten percent more strength to your workouts. Want to get more, the most out of an exercise? Get someone to spot you. Now, of course, I understand if someone's spotting you, you have more confidence, right? So potentially, you could lift more because you've you haven't got that fear of. Well, if you do bench, for example, I've done this myself. If I'm doing bench. I am more likely to push it if I've got a spotter because I know there's a yeah, failsafe. There's no fear of death. Yeah, if I here, I'm not going to guillotine myself with a barbell. However, it, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's ten percent more. I, I'm not, I don't know where this fucking numbers come from. Uh, <laughs> Why not eleven percent? Yeah, I know, right? But yeah, I, yeah, I think I'd agree with you to a, a point. Yeah, spotters obviously might help you. I'm not, I, they're not going to magically give you more strength or more muscle out of nowhere, but psychologically. They can give you that that warm fuzzy feeling of oh I've got someone here to catch me when I fall. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd agree. Just weird that he threw a random ten percent in there. I know, right? If I can weird that, yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, that is the entirety of the list, guys. If you've got any questions on any of that, um, there will be links down below, so you can have a look for yourself if you want to. Um, of course, get in touch. Yeah. This is the sort of stuff we do see on a regular basis online. They've just done us a good favour of putting all of them into one article. <laughs> so, yeah, some of them, I mean, look, most of them aren't bad, to be honest with you. In hindsight, most of them ain't bad. Yeah, that's right. Um, some of them are a bit outdated and weird. And it's also a bit odd when you kind of think, Hannah, minute, this is things that he wished he knew from the beginning that he's only yeah, found out recently. It's, a, it's actually quite it's a lot. A bit it's, a lot of it's, a lot of, it's a lot of things he didn't know. However, you know, from my own experience, a lot of older trainers do tend to be kind of dogmatic and out of practice with the current evidence okay. um i tell you a fun, fun question though bill like what is one thing that you wish mm, your well, younger I? self had known one thing my younger self would have known i mean I the major one for me the major one for me and it sounds very niche but it's spider webbed into loads of other things that completely changed my beliefs on training mm. and the population as well and that is that pain isn't always biomechanical 
So that kind of then led me down the pathway of understanding that actually there is no inherently dangerous form of mm. exercising, you know, yeah. which then led me to realise that, well, a couple of things. That one, we're all going to move differently and that's okay. That even if we are doing exercises that ain't very efficient looking and the form looks a bit awful and wonky, as long as it's not at a load that they can't handle, it's not going to be fucking disastrous. Mm. So it kind of made me realise that actually, I suppose, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that realising that we aren't fragile. Yeah. We aren't as fragile as people like to make us think. So yeah, and that led down to posture as well, etc. Just understanding that pain is complicated and that actually we're these really resilient, adaptable beings. I wish I'd known that from the beginning because I, I fell down the, the face pause trap. You know, I fell down the posture trap. I fell down the dangerous form trap and the fear of, oh my God, what about if I train this client and they hurt themselves? Or maybe I'll just stick to a safer exercise because I'm scared of teaching them how to do a barbell squat. What if yeah. they're wonky? What about if the people in the gym look at me and think I'm a shit trainer because this person who hasn't even done a deadlift before isn't very good at it? And now it's just like, I just care less because I know what I know now, that it's okay to be shit at first. You're not going to break. <laughs> just get it better from there. Yeah. I think the one thing I would say, actually, that I wish I knew was more nutritional-based. Free parking so, at your gym. No, <laughs> free parking. I think it's more nutritional-based is in terms of you don't just have to eat chicken, broccoli, and rice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big games because like, we, if, we, time. If, if we have some jokes, obviously, if we look back to the days when I was in the entertainer, we worked together there. Some of the meals I would bring in were just fucking absurd. Um, oh, God, yeah. Some of the, they were very basic. It was all very much, I got the information off YouTube, Google, whatever, but it was all very like <laughs> shit. My nutrition back then was quite poor, if I'm being honest. Now it's very much more, obviously, I know what I'm talking about, but when I say, I just wish I knew what I knew now in terms of nutrition back then, so I didn't have to suffer kidney beans and fucking rice. You know what? And- that was my favourite dish of yours. Rice <laughs> with beans. a handful of kidney beans and a bit handful? of barbecue like a sauce. Half, half tin, mate. No, the rest <laughs> I'd, I'd hoovered up with a hoover. <laughs> mate, and, it, and you know, another thing I used to do as well, I think we've joked about on the, the thing before. Eat because in the I was, toilets, the protein. Yeah, and the I was fixated, up. obviously, on protein timing. I didn't really understand. I, I just assumed, look, you need to have protein every three hours, otherwise you're fucked. So I would actually sneak away from like a shift. If I was on tills, for example, in this uh, shop, I'd actually go, oh, I need to go to the toilet. And I'd run upstairs, <laughs> grab the little protein cookie out of my bag, and I'd hide in the toilet, smashing my protein cookie. Um, and then obviously I'd come back down again. And just because I was so worried that if I didn't eat my protein cookie in this time window... Yeah. All my bicep curls in the gym <laughs> would have been wasted. So yeah, I think my nutritional my nutritional education now definitely was something I wish I knew. Yeah. Do you know what as well? I know it sounds dramatic that, oh, you know, you had to go into the toilet to eat a cookie. Why don't you just quickly eat it around the corner? Like, I think people underestimate how oh, hard density, it was to eat the density of my protein cookie. Mate, the my oh protein my cookies, God. they're like cement. Yeah, it is yeah. fucking, is, oh, mate, it's fucking, it is an effort, ain't it? fucking it's, it's a mission to get through them trust me and like. you have to have a lot of willpower to get through those it was like yeah it, kind of like imagine trying to eat sand for a plastic bag yeah yeah it was they're not pleasant so it took me about a good 10 minutes to fucking eat one anyway um, yeah but yeah i <laughs> my relationship nutritionally back then was quite funny oh well, well it's all funny stories is there anything else i used to do i think of anything else i used to do it was mad i didn't i didn't eat enough my portions were horrendous i mean it was tiny portions I mean, you was an absolute terrorist for stealing chewing gums, but yeah, I've been there. <laughs> stealing chewing gums. Right, fucking hell. Drag, me, drag my name for the dirt. Right, let's move aside. <laughs> okay.
Guys, before we move on to the final piece of news, it is that time again where the society comes to the forefront of conversation. And society is also known as Patreon, <laughs> if you're new around here. So, Colleen, Jenny, hello. As I always say, how are you? Fully aware it's not a you know, two-way dialogue, but I hope you are doing well. Always good to see you guys pop up. Always good to chat with you as well. Um, away from the podcast, you know, just having a good chat. It's always good to hear from you. Um, and of course, the rest of you guys in the society, the foot soldiers we call you, thank you very much for your support. You do help. You are instrumental, I should say, in the running of the podcast. And it does allow us to do cool stuff with the podcast as well. So we do really appreciate that. Mm. Tom, have you got anything to say to them? Anything you want to anything you want? Yeah, I just want to really thank them. Um, I am considering taking some of the money out of the Patreon fund, fund to get a <laughs> seventh... To get a seven thirty Gregs, <laughs> seven thirty Gregs, yeah, from the, the Uber driver. I'll be careful, Tom, because we alluded to that it could be a drug drop. So you're kind of alluding that you want to get a pack of pack of gear or something. <laughs> well, I, t- I tell you what, uh, like looking at the app, that is the cheapest bag of heroin from Gregs. I've yeah, but no, we, we obviously we we appreciate the funding. We really do. We wouldn't be able to do it without, you know, the support. Yeah, and we, we hope you enjoy the stuff we put on there. We do try and put as much like little bonus stuff on there as we can. Little video clips, obviously, quite amusing we'd like to say so hopefully you enjoy those Mm. um, and continue to uh, help support the podcast so do want to help uh, fund tom's greg's uh, 9:30, 7:30, greg's obsession i should say join up have a go there is two tiers you can get stuck into the first one is the you know the the base tier gets you in there as a foot soldier i don't know why i call it foot soldier like we're a fucking uh, an armed forces (laughs) steak bake now yeah militant militant force of patrons yeah so um it's (laughs) patreon.com slash csgf podcast or the easier thing to do is to go to the show notes of this podcast click the link um, and hopefully we'll be sending you a personal message of thanks very soon Mm. well that being said let's go on to the next piece of news and the final piece of news this week crash dieting does it work well firstly i think we should establish what a crash diet actually is um, the name, as the name does imply, is a dramatic reduction of your calories yeah. consumed. A crash, right? You wake up one day and you just decide that is it. I'm starving I'm not, myself. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, yeah, starving yourself very much. I mean, the number that gets thrown around is around eight to twelve hundred calories a day, which, if you know, is very low. If we give yeah. you the the recommended guidelines of calorie consumption for males, it's twenty five hundred. For females, it's two thousand. Yeah. Right? Okay, that's the base line. That's recommended. So what you're saying here is that people should be on eight to twelve hundred a day. And the thing is, well, the thing that makes this worse is that when we look at crash diets, people normally combine this with a sort of exercise protocol. So they'll be doing like yeah, runs and punishment. stuff. Punishment. Yeah. So what they're so to make that worse is they're already eating way below what the let me rewind actually the baseline calories recommended for people who are sedentary. It's basically like an operational calorie number. 2,000 for men, 2,500 for men, yeah. So what you're saying is people who are on crash diets are going way below that and then doing more. They're actually doing activity. They're not sedentary. They're actually doing activity. Yeah. So they're under-fueling. Uh, it's a recipe for disaster, basically. So yeah. if we move on to why we're talking about this, the reason we got into this topic is a new study came out involving all this topic, really. One thing I do want to note, though, is that the study itself did not go as low as the eight to 1,200 a day. However, it's still pretty low, hence why the term was like coined when people talk about the study is like crash diet-esque. It wasn't exactly, they weren't on eight to 1,200 calories. They were just on low calories yeah. um, than usual, right? And it, it's based on a calculation, which we'll talk about. The title of this study is Efficacy of Progressive Versus Severe Energy Restriction on Body Composition and Strength in Concurrent Trained Women. Okay, concurrent training. If you cast your minds back to an old podcast we did, is when you combine in the same session you would do cardio and weights, for example, right? So you might do 
legs straight into a run or something like that okay um what is i'll go over this study and then we'll we'll summarize our thoughts on this so it gives you key points 14 resistance trained women were randomized into two groups you can probably guess what the groups were severe energy deficit and progressive energy deficit mm. the calculation that they used to determine this so a severe energy deficit group would be on 25 calories per kilo of fat free mass per day so they just as i said before like they just the very day they started it was just a low calorie straight diet, on, extremely yeah. low, straight yeah. into that 25 calorie kilo of fat free mass yeah the progressive energy deficit group were on 40 calories per kilo of fat free mass per day but they decreased by five calories uh, per kg every two weeks for eight weeks in total so that was they gradually lowered the calories over time yeah, I mean, by the end, yeah. by the end, that progressive group actually ended up on the same as the severe group. So they actually ended up mm. on that twenty-five point because of the reduction. Yeah, but they obviously did it more progressively. Yeah, they dropped over time. Right. They conducted resistance and cardiovascular training throughout this, and they completed food diaries. Actually, I'll say this bit first, and I'll talk about what's important to actually note on this is that they're both assigned macronutrient distributions of two grams of per kilo of protein. Right. So two grams of protein uh, per kilo of body weight, and one gram of fat per kilo body weight and then the remaining calories were from carbs right so the fixed numbers were their protein and fat and the remaining was carbs and obviously the carbs would have changed over time to allow for the, the calorie changes okay yeah what i wanted to mention this is not something that's very clear in the paper unless you like really get like balls deep into it is um they did have help from sports nutritionists and they were actually involved with a nutrition study eight weeks prior to this one so it wasn't alien to them um, so you could actually argue that adherence would have been high because they would have, they would be already tracking stuff, so they knew what they were doing, and they would have had good rapport with the research team. So it's less likely that it was like a new thing. They'd have been like, okay, guys, can you just crack on and do this next eight weeks? There's another little thing. They'd be like, cool, let's go into it. You know, hi, John. How you going? Good morning. Here's my food diary. I'm being nice and honest with you. So that's really important to know because you might be like, oh, it's only 14 people. You know, it's quite a small blood study, but I'd argue it's a little bit more stronger simply because they were already in that environment. It's not like random people. The ad adherence would have been good because that's normally an issue I find with these sorts of papers when it comes to um, calories and stuff is adherence is all over the fucking place, right? And people lie as well. So if you're if each of the subjects is filling the details themselves and they're not being properly monitored, you know, you're kind of expecting them to be honest. Yeah, and that's why having that rapport with the researchers already will probably allow for more honesty as opposed to strangers when they're yeah. more likely to just fuck them off, right? So at this point, guys... If you've been the cogs have been spinning in your brain, you could probably work out the severe energy deficit group is going to have a bigger deficit overall over the eight weeks compared to the progressive group, right? Because they've been on that twenty-five calorie per kilo the whole eight weeks, yeah. whereas the progressive lot haven't been. So they should lose more weight and fat. But dun dun dun, that is not what happened. That's a big not shocker. Happened. Yeah, big shocker. That is not what happened, even though it should have done. So. Why has this happened? Well, what we're not saying is the rules of the calorie or the diet themselves are bollocks, okay? That that wasn't an issue. The actual issue, as I've already said, is adherence. Adherence itself. Mm. Let's break it down into the the ins and outs of why this, what the adherence breakdown was. So in weeks seven to eight, so the end of this um, study, the severe group actually had a higher energy intake. And if you look at the graphs, it's around 260 calories more. Okay, that's more than the progressive, right? And it was actually only in weeks one and two that the severe group was lower. Three to six, they were matched. Seven to eight, they were higher when they actually should have been lower, right? So in three to six, they should have been lower than the progressive, but they were matched. 
and then the seven to eight they were higher when they should have been you know it should have been the same well eight sorry eight would have been the same so what's pretty obvious is that the harder you make it the less likely it's going to be adhered to because obviously these people yeah. struggle to maintain that deficit for that long period of time that they only manage it for one to two weeks and then after they basically just couldn't do it anymore despite protein being very very high as well well, exactly. Protein very high. People mm. say, oh, but as long as you keep your protein high, you should be fine. Well, yeah, not the it's case. Still not the case at all. Because I have heard that from people who have advocated for pretty much starvation very diets. Very low calorie diets. Oh, well, as long as I keep the protein really high, yeah. and it doesn't seem to be the case. But I mean, look, if if they were if they stayed strict to the crash diet, then I would have expected to obviously seen a dramatic difference in 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 the in the weight loss or the fat mass loss compared to the the progressive you know yeah, yes. group but as as we kind of established that the adherence didn't happen due to the adherence no. obviously it's it's crucial to recognize there is there is have to be a sweet spot you do want to make it challenging enough that it's going to make a difference you can't just like have three calories below it and expect like three calorie deficit no. <laughs> it's gonna because you're probably gonna not that's probably not gonna do much but you don't want to get to the point where you're hanging out of calories right so it's about finding that sweet spot there are a few limitations slash you could say points of discussion on this which i think we should go into why do people restrict weight severely or do crash diets is a question that's often asked and the, the answer is simple it's to lose weight quickly right the reason people go on a crash diet is to lose weight very very quickly however this paper had both groups for the whole eight weeks so you could say perhaps it's unfair in that regard because if this was only a two weeks if this is only over a two-week period actually the severe group would have been better they would have lost more weight because they were lower in that one to two week period. Mm. So if you only looked at that paper for two weeks, they would have done better, which you could argue is the point of a crash diet, right? So the fact is over the whole eight not weeks- Not that we're advocating it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, well, yeah, let me just, <laughs> let's not say we're not advocating yeah. that. I'm just trying to say the limitation of it, but by putting them both on eight weeks, you could say it's a bit not balanced yeah. because one of them is designed to be quick and one of them is designed to be progressive in nature. So you've got them on the same time domain, which is a bit like, mm, okay. But what this got me thinking about is when- People, because it's, it's, I say people do crash diets to do it quickly, but what you do actually find most of the time is people put themselves into large calorie deficits for long periods of time, hoping to lose weight quicker. I've had it all the time. I hear people all the time. Even people who go to the gym, they'll be like, yeah, I'm on 1,500 calories a day. I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, but you're training three, four times a week in the gym doing resistance training. What do you mean you're on 1,500 calories a day? And it's obviously because they want to lose weight quickly. They think by being on a big deficit, they'll lose weight nice and quick. And yeah, in theory, absolutely, you're right. If you're on a big deficit like that, yeah, in theory, you'll lose weight. Yeah. But then they come to me two months later, oh, I'm still not losing weight. But I'm on this massive deficit. It's like, I'm thinking in my head, you're probably not on that big deficit. Unless there's yeah. some serious health issue you're unaware of, which is most cases unlikely, you're probably not on the deficit. And you yeah. might be subconsciously going out of the deficit because you're not adhering properly. Yeah. Because no, it's very difficult that. to. It's very difficult to. Let's be honest. It's very it's very hard if you're if you are training and you need to fuel yourself, your body's going to be like, give me some fucking food. <laughs> and if you're on a very yeah. big deficit, you're going to get to a point where you just, you either binge or you just, you know, revert yeah. back completely, right? So Other things might tend to happen as well where actually like um, if you, actually if you if you generally was pretty much starving yourself, then energy levels would eventually fall as well. And what you might find is actually your TDEE, your uh, total daily energy expenditure will po possibly drop as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, whereas what you might find is actually when you eat sometimes increase people's calories to a sensible amount, mm. actually they enter a deficit because they're more energetic, they're able to perform better as well. I, d I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with having someone on 1,500 calories, by the way. 
But if it's someone that is very, very active, yeah, I know, was, and just, they're not a midget either, you know. I like, was yeah, talking okay. more because that was more an anecdotal point of I obviously work in a CrossFit. Uh, where it's high it's energy, very high yeah. yeah and there's a lot of people who go three four five times a week and it's very high yeah. um, energy expenditure during those sessions i i don't think 1500 is sufficient to fuel that activity unless that so. person is very 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 small in the first place <laughs> yeah and very 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 low in weight yeah i couldn't imagine them doing that kind of sport whilst uh yeah at, at 1500 calories mm. yeah couldn't imagine that what we're not saying is that a two to three week crash diet won't do what it's intended to do. If you went on a two to three crash week diet, potentially, yes, you could lose some weight quite quickly. But what is the purpose of that? Because what's going to happen mm. nine times out of 10 is you will re relapse and revert back afterwards. Yeah, if you just crash good. diet for two to three weeks afterwards, what are you going to hope is going to happen after that? You will most likely relapse because you've not really... You've not given yourself enough time to build any proper habits. You've not really built any behaviours in that time. You've essentially just mm. starved yourself to the point of let's lose weight quickly. What's the old saying? Slow and steady wins the weight. Wait, <laughs> slow and steady wins the waist. I know, I started doing from Ross then. <laughs> slow and steady win, yeah, wins, the waist. Win, wins the race. That's a, that wins the waist though is actually quite a good... Let me, let me repeat that. Blah, 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 blah. Slow and steady. Well, I'm going to fucking do it again, ain't I? Yeah. Slow and steady. Uh, Joe, what, I'm just going to change the word in go slow race win there you go for whatever reason the order I said it in my brain could not compute it but you actually came out with something quite good slow and steady wins the race wins the race yeah but it's true yeah, though. it's absolutely true yeah I mean if I was to give you kind of something actionable a weight loss rate of 0.5 to 1% of body mass per week is generally going to be a better choice to improve adherence yeah. and body composition outcomes which you've not gone into too much but there is some stuff around that in terms of body composition as well. Okay, there is. I think some of the papers on elite athletes. I mean, the thing is, I think it's um, also good to kind of set expectations to kind of understand how weight loss actually works as well. So if you're just expecting the scale to drop every day, every day, every day, every day, I think that's going to set you up for failure because you're going to become disappointed. But understanding that it's going to fluctuate up and down. What matters is that overall, as a baseline, over as the weeks go by, not even the days. But as the weeks go by, it's slowly getting lower and lower and your base gets lower. I've done it before as an educational piece with one of my uh, clients, one of my old clients. Not as, um, it was obviously we had to establish that they've not got a horrendous relationship with the scales. If you've got a bad relationship with the yeah. scales, this is obviously not recommended for you. But we did it as an educational piece where I got them to weigh themselves every day. I think it was like a month. And I basically put it on a chart. So you want an Excel, just wrote down all the numbers. In the end, you put yeah. a chart, put it into a chart, like a little nice pretty chart. And that chart gave a really good visual re representation of how weight fluctuates. Up and down, up and down, up and down. But over time, if you're in a deficit, it very slowly goes down. Exactly. And that's what it, that can be a really good, useful tool for you if you're listening and you're wanting to, you know, see that visual representation of your weight. It's a good way of doing it. That is if you have a good relationship with scales. If you've got a poor relationship with scales, please don't do it. Another thing that we've not really mentioned, we probably should, is that in regards to crash diets, is like the prevalence of, well, eating disorders. Oh, absolutely, know. yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of like, on, on the subject of adherence, we have something called the binge restrict cycle, which yeah, is where you will week. restrict food, where you drop your calories dramatically to the point that then you start to, your, your hunger increases You've crash dieted so suddenly and at such a dramatic rate that your hunger increases and it's only so long that you can hold off that hunger. And eventually you give in. And then it might lead to binging or overeating where it's not all or nothing where it's like, oh my God, I'm just going to give up. I'm so ravenously hungry. I need everything in sight. And then what happens when you binge? 
you feel bad. You you feel bad. You feel guilty. And what do you do when you feel guilt and you think you're a failure? You know, you restrict again. Oh, I'm going to go back to it again. I'm going to restrict my food again. It's a vicious. It's a horrible cycle. Horrible, yeah. You know, it's a horrible cycle. And this is where, like, setting expectations, obviously making sure you're in the sound of place to understand that you know things like the scales, etc., is just data. It's one metric, as we spoke. It's one metric as well. Earlier, we spoke BMI being one metric. The scales yeah. is another one metric out of a plethora yeah. of metrics you can look at as an individual when it comes to your health, fitness, performance. If you're emotionally attached to it, you know, it becomes a whole different story to the point where I'd say, if that's the case, why the fuck are you even thinking about weighing yourself or purposely entering a deficit at that current time and place? But like, um, yeah, it is better to basically do it gradually, I think is what we're saying here. Basically, crash dieting, does it work? No, (laughs) not really. I would still (laughs) recommend like increased physical activity, increased physical activity and just gradually lower. Because if you're not getting physical activity in, but you need to end and you're trying to purposely lose weight. If you're not getting physical activity in, what do you have to do? You have to dramatically lower those calories. Yeah, sure. But actually, if you increase your physical activity and just lower the calories a little bit, mm. then you'll find yourself in that decent deficit. Okay, guys, that is all the news this week. And you know what's coming next, don't you? It's another one of my little finale quick ones. And the question, which you've heard for the last few weeks, is going to be the same one. Are you subscribed to the podcast? I think it's actually working because I've actually noticed the data on the numbers of the podcast. Since I've started saying this, are you subscribed to the podcast? The doubt is it appears more people are subscribing. Is it you actually can kind of working? Tell. Well, you can actually, yeah, because you can actually tell because I can see downloads and listens. And sometimes you'll have, the listens will only go up a little bit, but the downloads will be quite a bulk. So that indicates to me okay. that someone subscribed because when you subscribe or follow, you sometimes automatically download some of the back catalogue. Ah. So we, ah, we can't, for your awareness, guys, we can't actually see how many people are subscribed to the podcast. But as I said, by looking at the data in a certain way, you can tell because you've had, let's say, if I give you this example, if the listens goes up by one, but the downloads are going up by 10 in that same time domain, it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why is there only one listen but 10? Because that one person has downloaded some of the back catalogue. So because I'm, we're, we are men of research, we're evidence-based, I think this is working. So I'm going to say it again. Are you subscribed to the podcast? Are you followed to the podcast? Have you clicked that goddamn button? Because if you, do you know how much power you hold? As I've just illustrated, well, not illustrated, but said, if you click that button... You tell the apps that this is a podcast worth revisiting. It's a podcast worth coming back to. However, if you listen to us, do not click that subscribe button. Mm. You're telling the app, ah, I'll listen to the end of it, but I'm not going to come back again. It wasn't that good. And then they go, all right, we won't push this out to more people. So you've got a lot of power in your hands right now. Mm. Hope you feel powerful. And if you don't subscribe, you are literally worse than a Dalai Lama. Oh, that's fucking bit. That, that's 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 the ace up my sleeve, Bill. Essentially calling them a nonce. Brilliant. <laughs> wow. On that uh, on that tongue sucking bombshell. <laughs> oh God. Make, make sure you. Subscribe. Why did I even bring uh, this up? And it's uh, it's been a pleasure as always. I say, hopefully, uh, we will see you next week. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was a deep fake. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> someone was- found a video of him you know, eating a succulent Chinese meal and they've just taken oh, that video of him and then added it into me... it. And, oh, you know. God. Please let me finish. Before we get this Sorry. Good Sorry. We will see you next week, same time, same place, for some more The Fitness News. See you soon. Mm-hmm.